welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Heading back into the training world on this week's ABCA podcast with Amplified Movements, Tracy Hayes. Tracy now works with 25 MLB teams on her mobility series. Tracy has a diverse background with a number of certifications and studied neurolinguistics programming as well as cognitive and neurosciences studies at Northwestern University. She originally got her start in professional baseball teaching yoga to the Kansas City Royals in spring training. The COVID-20 spring, she started offering online classes to all professional baseball players after spring training got shut down. She has more than 15 years of experience in working with professional athletes in functional movement and balance. In this episode, we discuss betting on yourself, kinematic sequencing, how the best coaches now are more generalists, and holistic training methods. Let's welcome Tracy Hayes to the podcast. Here with Tracy Hayes, Amplified Movement, uh, working with 25 MLB teams now, but uh, long list uh, with your profile of Pilates, PRI, DNS, FRC, LYT, yoga, biomechanics, uh, LDOA, you know, LinkedIn to Northwestern. So it's uh, thanks for jumping on with me, Tracy. I'm super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. How did you decide to bet on yourself? I mean, it's a huge undertaking what you're doing. How did you decide to bet on yourself? That's a great question. Also, you know, I, I, I kind of just fell into it without it being an easy falling into. Um, I was a stay at home mom for a long time. I've got four little kids, young kids, age four to 10. And I kind of always thought once I had kids, I would be a stay at home mom. I've been in fitness and wellness for over 20 years, 25 years, my age. Right. And, uh, and I still did some things here and there, but after having four kids, I kind of just felt like I needed to do some things for me. So I thought, you know, okay, my youngest is one, one and a half. Let me just start digging back into some of the trainings and the things that I've always wanted to learn, just genuinely just for me. And the more I started to do that, it, I kind of wanted to do a little bit more. So I thought, well, maybe, you know, I'll kind of see back into baseball. If, if anybody's interested in doing some yoga, just old school yoga. And I happened to think about that right when the world shut down 
And right before I was about to get on a plane just to go out to Arizona, just to mingle and get to know people and see old friends, uh, they basically canceled spring training. And one of the things that I've really done my entire life, but more so in the past two years, is listen to my inner voice and being more authentic to who I am. And is even though it sounds really easy to do, it's it's not at first because of you know societal norms and what you know family and friends and everybody else thinks of you and then you've got social media so i my little voice said hey you should put on a yoga class every day for spring training if anybody wants to come so i did that and it was old school yoga it's funny because i wouldn't actually teach that style of yoga now um but handfuls of guys came sometimes there were you know a dozen people sometimes there was none and i recorded all of them but i was every day it was just tracy just keep going just keep going so i did that and then I continued my training and just kind of like left it there. And then later that year, so that was 2020, I think, my little voice said, hey, you should do a, a mobility series. Like, about what? What am I going to do it on? Uh, I don't know. You're going to you're just go go about, you know, class to class. So I hugely, hugely stepped out of my comfort zone. And this is one of those times to talk about uh you know, fear of failure and public embarrassment. And because this isn't an industry, you know, if you fail or you do something wrong, you could hurt somebody. And then everybody knows about it. It's just like, boom, she's blacklisted. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to be most authentic to me, follow the little voice and my truths and trust that the things that I've learned along the way and in my 20 plus years of doing what I'm doing, just trust that it's the right thing. So I built a mobility series, class to class. Uh, there were guys who totally trusted me you know I just came out of nowhere and, and I they joined my mobility series and uh it went really well it was it's a 12-week series and then at the end of that season I was able to take stats from the guy's season and I got tons I should probably have them in front of me but great stats and it was the, the stats were run by um an ex-pro baseball player who has a master's degree from Harvard um, in psychology with, a, uh, what's it called? A focus in statistical analysis. So that person ran all my stats and we saw things like guys, ERAs went down, their home run rate went up, their um, K per nine rate uh, got better, reduced injury and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I know that was kind of like a long way, but it was honestly for me, just listening to my voice and going about day to day to day and building it and building it. And once I had that first season of stats, kind of like, okay, what she did was kind of legit. And I still was planning on being a stay-at-home mom, but it just kept evolving, evolving, and new ideas popped in my head. And then people started reaching out to me. And actually, I'm going to kind of go off on a quite little little tangent. Hey, but that that's part of trust, though, right, is your authentic voice. I mean, if you're being authentic, I think it's easier for people to trust you, correct? I, I hope so. I, I believe so. And you know, the thing with authenticity is when you are your most authentic self and you are living your truth, if there is anything outside or external that is not positive, it's easy to trust that, okay, that's, that's not either the right step or that's their own crap. You know, and it's just, it is easier in that way. Well, and a lot of times it doesn't even come into your circle anymore. Like that's it the doesn't. thing. When you, when you finally start trusting yourself and you trust your authentic self, you don't even really hear the noise anymore. It doesn't even come into your circle hardly anymore. It doesn't. I got to say, this is where I get, I'm a, I'm a feeler. I am, I am too. so grateful where I am yeah. 
and what I'm doing. And I'm surrounded by the most amazing people. I really get choked up. Yeah. I mean, the things that I and have I going too. on right now yeah. have fallen into my lap. Yeah, but that's not falling. I mean, you're you're working. Right. You're working for it too. Um, I mean that that that's, you know, we talked pre about COVID. That's the cool thing for me is seeing the amount of people that turned a really tough situation into something that was was great and and ran with it. Where a lot of people would sit inside, they wouldn't do anything, and then you have people that were out there kind of pushing the envelope. That okay, you can still do things out there. Yeah, you know, I wrote an article right as COVID was uh, kicking in. And one of the things that I said was, there's going to be a ton of people who come out of this far worse than they started. And I am going to be one of those people who comes out far better than where I started. And two years later, I am so grateful to say that that is true. And you're smart with the baseball community. They're going to want to see stats. Uh, it's a stat-driven industry, so if you can show performance improvement, also injury prevention, that's where we wanted to push things. We wanted to push development, but also go into injury prevention and make sure we're being safe, and also maybe the mental health components of all of it. But I think I think everything that you're doing kind of checks all of those boxes off. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful that you know there's some movie, a, a Slumdog Millionaire, I think yes. it is. You know, in the end, I mean, all of these the terrible things that happen, but in the end, it's really magical to see how every single thing absolutely happened for a reason. And on, on a positive side, right, I've had these things all the way from my Northwestern degree in neuroscience and cognitive science and linguistics. And then I, you know, did, you know, just a whole bunch of other stuff in Pilates. I published a Pilates manual years ago. Like, well, that's probably not going to go anywhere. Hey, guess what? Now it is. It, you know, it's cool. And all of that along the way completely aligned. I'm like, wow, look, at I had this really long list of cool accomplishments that at the time it was just oh, something I did. But now it all added together. The sum of it is I'm, I'm grateful and humbled. You know, you, you read now and everybody talks about the 10,000 hours. But what you're seeing now is more successful people are that they have their hands in a bunch of different things. So they're more adaptable because they have more skills built up than somebody that's just focused on one thing their entire career. Yeah, I, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day. I feel like one of the things that kind of held me back in the past from doing like in my mind, really great things, right? You see other people doing, you know, having TED Talks, which by the way, that's on my list someday, which sounds crazy. It's like, what are you gonna TED Talk about? I don't know, but when it happens, I'm, I'll be ready. Um, you hear about, or you see people doing things and you just think they must be the absolute expert in it. And if you grill them, they're gonna know every single answer. And I think that's kind of what held me back is because I was intimidated in that fear of failure. I didn't move forward. And What's funny, so this is the side tangent, it comes back again, ABC, ABCA convention last year. I'm gonna be completely honest, I didn't even know about it until a few days before. And because I wasn't even sure where, kind of where I was going with everything, well, I heard about it and there still happened to be some, uh, you know, registration tickets available. I was in Connecticut and I thought, I'm gonna go. I don't know anybody. I absolutely know no one who's going. And I got in touch with a couple people, uh, Rob Bruno out in California, NorCal. Uh, I said, hey, do you know anybody? And I got connected him through him through social media. And Nick Sanzari is another guy who said, connect to Rob. Rob says, I'm not going, but my friend Alan Jagger's going. It's like, okay. He's like, I'll connect you to him. Great. Connect me to Alan. 
he hops on a Zoom with me. I, everybody knows Alan is just the most amazing guy ever. We text last night and he said, he goes, oh, Ryan, that great guy. We were just texting last, you know, last week. So he said, I'm not going, but I'm going to connect you with a couple people. Great. Well, I got, get there. There's what, 5,000 guys, dudes, and then a chick or, or, or three or four. Yeah. No, no one completely intimidated, like, oh, geez, what am I gonna do? I had new business cards printed, overnighted, and on the back I was giving away um, my free pregame warmup that normally it was, it was just for my pro guys, but I thought, you know what? People don't know who I am. So I get there, completely intimidated, but I prayed, and my little voice said, Tracy, we're gonna run this for you. Just listen to every single thing we tell you to do. I'm like, ah, oh, crap, what are you gonna tell me to do? Okay, I'm in. I just remember sitting in my hotel room, and I actually have a video of this, the on the third day i remember what day it was my little boy said your only goal today is to hand out as many business cards as you can i'm like are you kidding me uh, that is not me i've never been a girl scout cookie seller i've never been a door-to-door -door. it's like no i'd rather just give you the money because it's not me and i was a sweat i recorded myself in the mirror saying tracy your only goal today is to hand out as many business cards as you can i'm like crap i'm gonna do it but i i hate it I walked out and I was embarrassed the entire time. Just, and here's what I came up with my little, what's going on? I'm mobility chick. I've worked with uh, players and teams from at the time, I think it was like 22, 22 of the 30 MLB organizations. Um, on the back is the exact free pregame pre warmup that my pro guys did. Here you go, peace. And that was it. And sweating. I mean, if anybody looked at me, it was totally sweating. And I did, I handed out so many cards and I ended up connecting with so many people just by doing that and that was really abca convention last year honestly was well you reached out to me too me. Uh, you know and I, I, that's a busy time for me like i felt bad because you can't get to everybody that you need to get to but that's a manifesting piece too like you throw it out there you don't know how exactly it's going to work out but that's a manifesting piece is that you throw it out into the universe and that it, it will work out it may not be exactly how you think it's going to work out, but it's probably going to work out just by, by doing it and throwing it out there into the universe. Yeah. And stepping out of your comfort zone. Yes. yes somebody had said, okay, who do you want to talk to? Ryan. I'm like, oh, geez, Ryan's running this giant convention. He's never I'm not heard running. of me I'm, ever. I'm running, co I'm riding coattails. I'm a small piece of that. <laughs> it's, but it's still, you know, I mean, I know that's not true, but also it's a giant convention. Yes. It is massive for everybody, whether you're, you know, running it you're going you're a vendor you're a speaker it's a crazy time and um just from man manifesting purpose uh and you might cut this out but i want to speak at the london national <laughs> well, whether it's a, you're on the list later on that, or whatever yeah that, that's part of the reason why our convention is great because it's it's not like a month out and we're trying to throw stuff together like I'm planning speakers out years ahead. Years, and so like, but, but you do get on a list. And so eventually it's, it's going to happen. Cause it, I, I love this, this piece, you know, and we don't get to hear enough of this uh, because it does work. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about it because it does work, but your, your convention story is very similar to every person that's ever come to our convention is they always remember that first one. They always remember being intimidated, but then they always go back to how gracious people are when you when you finally connect with people. And that's what's great about our industry is how gracious people are if you connect. But for people that are listening in, you have to take that step forward to connect with people because people aren't going to reach out to you if they don't know you. So you, you do have to connect to try to connect to people. 
that is great advice. And, and I'll, I'll go a step further. And I know you would agree with this is when I was there, the fact that you said everyone is gracious, that was actually the most shocking part of it for me. Not that I didn't expect people to be human beings, yeah. but every single person that I met said, what can I do to help you out? Yes, right. How can I connect you? Is there somebody who you wanted to meet? I might know them. And and I didn't, I'm not somebody who asks for help. I pro, I'm, I'm getting better at it, um, but I'm not somebody to say, hey, can you do this? Can you do that at all? So if I ever ask somebody, it's because I really need it. But at the convention, like you said, the how gracious everyone was and how willing to help everyone was. And I reciprocated that. Hey, is there something I can do? Can I help? How can I help your team out? And that's naturally who I am anyway. So it was just really nice to see just a bunch of really amazing human beings all in the same in same space that want to help and want to connect because it is and don't be shy you know if you're you just got to just suck it up because everybody else there's tons of other people who are really uncomfortable and may not want to do it but you know we just we do it and it and it works hey you said when you started with the mlb zoom and and you went to traditional yoga i mean walk us through that was that why, what was the kind of your thought process of, of maybe starting with traditional yoga and, and probably not what you teach now, but just kind of go through that process of, of why you kind of started with traditional yoga. You know, I, so I married a pro baseball player years ago. And when he was with the Kansas city Royals, I had, I had been already a yoga teacher. I was in fitness. I had a consulting business in Chicago and it was kind of went, so that was 2000, what, like seven, eight, nine, ten when people were just kind of starting to talk about yoga and there were guys in spring training who wanted to do yoga. So they said, they, they said, Hey, you know, Hey, can you, you know, you think your wife would want to teach something? Sure. Why not? So we would just go kind of in the comp condo. We were in surprise, the complex grass, you know, either before as actually after spring, after the day, because they go there at the crack of dawn yes. and we would just do yoga. And, and then it was some friends and more friends. And we might've had half a dozen guys and the wives joined and then that kind of built where, hey, can we do it at, you know, during while we're at spring training? So we got in touch with, you know, some of the strength coaches and player development. And I got to be honest, they were reluctant at first because it was like this, oh, this like woo woo stuff. And I still remember the big league manager who at the time was just like, yeah, I don't know. It's like this woo woo stuff. There's actually an, a, a like Kansas City um it's been around report. for 7,000 years, by the way. So it's it, it's not woo-woo. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> right? I'm like, geez, at least, you know, say something like, well, it's really helping our athletes, but hey, whatever. And uh, so I started doing it. So I did regular yoga, what I, what I thought was, you know, the right way, traditional kind of sinking way down into the shoulders and big bendy up dogs and, and things that you see. So I started that then. And I kind of at the time thought, okay, well, I've already done it with the Royals, you know, in spring training at their complex, the, the strength coaches would come out and the rehab coordinators with a clipboard and they sent people to me. So we went a few times a week throughout one of the, one or two of the spring trainings, which because I had already had that, I thought, well, that's already a time. I'm not going to start something new. Okay. Right. So maybe there's some guys, especially it's kind of a stressful time. These guys think they're, you know, they've been working their entire off season to be ready for February and March. And now in March, they're getting sent home right before this season from a mental health standpoint, but then also just keeping the body moving. I thought, you know what, that's going to be the most natural thing to offer. And again, at the time, I just reviewed some of the videos that I recorded for the guys and I'm doing those bendy up dogs. And it wasn't until I really dove back into understanding 
the baseball athlete and the needs and what, you know, what we need to really work on and hone in on that I started to avoid some of the, the traditional stuff that I did 10 years ago or 20 years, whatever long ago it was with the Royals and then um, through COVID. And that's kind of how it's, I mean, it's evolved since then, but that's how I originally got started and why I did it. Yeah. And we talked about that via Instagram because we were talking about Updog and Cobra and Mini Cobra. And I mean, you make a good point because that was the thing I was always cognizant with our players is they're not going to need what the normal population needs because they're already getting used in those areas that they probably don't need it. So it was always that. And just go into that a little bit because you have changed your philosophy's changed on that. Just dive into it to why that is. Yeah, hugely changed. It's yeah. one of those, I know, you know. And that's why I love having you on because I like being challenged on my thinking because I know I don't know everything and it's nice to, to have somebody that's in it and going at it, which I don't do as much anymore. So it's nice for me to be able to have somebody to be able to check my thinking on things too. And I appreciate how open-minded you are and, and hearing, you know, different viewpoints. I'm the same way. If there's something that I'm doing that you think is absolutely not right, I would love to hear it. I'm never offended. It's just like, oh, that's a different viewpoint. Maybe there's something I don't know. So I do a, so I've got over a thousand hours of yoga training. I've done it around the world. I've done lots and lots of yoga. I would say a thousand, normally a yoga instructor has 200 hours and then you could do a 300 hour I've now done like multiple 200 and multiple 300 hours in addition to technical stuff. What I teach now is a physical therapy based functional yoga called LIT, L-Y-T. So that's what that acronym is in any of my bios. It's a yoga <clears throat> that was developed by a physical therapist. And it's really just working with the structural foundation of the body, form dictates function where there are some poses that when you really break down from a, a biomechanical standpoint, even though, you know, that's what people have been doing for thousands of years, you know, right now, just life has changed. We're sitting at desks. There's more stress. There's just for regular people, there's these outside external influences that regular, you know, like regular yoga may not be the best thing. So this physical therapy, functional yoga really addresses a lot of those. And then when you, add well, the baseball athlete, the baseball athlete, softball, really any athlete has different demands on their body. You have to have things aligned structurally from the, the form, from the bones, like your bones have to be in the most aligned position as they can be in order for the rest of your body and energy to transfer in order to stay healthy and get the most out of your body, you know, when you are in performance time. So how and why it's evolved is I've taken those factors into play. But then with the yoga, I don't teach just yoga anymore. I've got the PRI background. If, if anybody hasn't ever heard of PRI, it's Postural Restoration Institute. It is, it's not necessarily about posture. It's working with the body's natural asymmetries to figure out how, you know, there's certain muscles that we, we're all naturally asymmetric. We all have, you know, our diaphragm is higher on one side than the other. Our heart's on one side, liver's on the other. And because of that, we get into these compensation patterns right? And when that happens, the rest of our body adapts. Well, for the regular person that might show up as knee pain or neck pain or something like that, for a baseball athlete, that turns into Tommy bad John, things, right? elbow, ACL. Yeah. Uh, that, all of it. Yes, all of it. I try to speak positive, you know, like blown out shoulders and elbows and all of these things over time because of just the repetitive, significant stress. So we have to get those 
those structures aligned in order so we can, we can eliminate some of those injuries. Um, so PRI, I've integrated PRI concepts of where we can move the breath and how we can work with the natural asymmetries. Well, then on top of that, I've got over 20 years of Pilates experience. And I got to say, Pilates, uh, maybe I'll come back to that some other time. Pilates is super underrated. It is. It's in my sports. notes. It, it is. So, so Pilates is in there. The foundations of Pilates is in kind of now what I teach. But then going a little bit further, DNS and uh, developmental kinesiology. There's a ton with how our brain works. All humans develop from, uh, you know, being born to walking from the gait cycle in the same way. And that is this brain body connection. Then there's another step, creating more mobility and active range. You can't create more active range in if your body is out of whack. So you kind of work backwards from there. It's like, okay, why do we have these limitations in our shoulder or our, you know, hip IR or something like that? It's not, just don't crank on, you know, a, a sleeper stretch isn't going to get you more shoulder IR. Look down the chain. It's probably coming from your pelvis, which relates to that PRI stuff with the natural asymmetries of the body. So what I've done, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's integrated into it. And now I'm, I'm incorporating LDOA, which is also really cool. So all of that, when you bring it back to what the body needs, it's not just about one system. It's not just about yoga is going to solve it. You know, FRG is going to solve it. PRI is going to solve it. I do feel like PRI is a real giant basis of it and working with also express, um, expansion and compression. Bill Hartman talks about that and, you know, infrasternal angles that's all related. And there hasn't been anybody that I know of until me that has kind of incorporated all of these different systems and all the kind of like highlights and really cool and awesome effective things into one particular system that builds the body from the ground up with the, the end goal is efficient energy transfer. Yes. When you have efficient energy transfer and flow and the huge part of what I teach with two years ago, nobody, I couldn't, I didn't know how to describe it because nobody was really talking about it is no energy leaks through transitional movements. And what I mean by that is you might be really strong in position A and you might be strong in position B, but how you flow, how you move from point A to point B determines basically how many energy leaks you're having. And so that's been, I didn't know how to explain it. Well, and you saw ago. it on the biomechanical side and, and that's the thing you're, you're speaking, you're speaking the baseball language too, because it's a kinematic sequence, flow, energy, all that things moving up the chain. So that's in place, just not in, not described in this terminology it's it's described throwing motion hitting motion it hasn't been described in, in kind of this side of it which is cool yeah you know it's and it's all related that's the thing you can't get it in the throwing and the hitting motion unless you have it in just the regular everyday motion and so to answer to all of that to answer your question there's a lot of positions where like a really bendy up dog for instance if you're most people have some kind of wonkiness in their pelvis and a lot of people have compression in their posterior spine, in their back in some way. If you're going into a really crazy bendy up dog, you're, all you're really doing is contributing to that compression, which limits mobility, which also gets you out of that structural alignment, which gets you out of the energy transfer, which gets you into not being able to fully optimize your performance. And I feel like I'm grateful now because there are people 
I feel like talking about it more in the real sense and not just from like the really, really technical stuff. And that's where I come in. <laughs> I like it because you're, you're kind of blending the science and the feel piece to it, which, I, you know, I, I think you're going to need both with that. And you look at the amount of compression issues we have with kids that have swung a bat their whole life, thrown a baseball their whole life. They're going to have compression issues with their lower spine. Big time. You know, I got, this is another thing I got to say. So I, I kind of started opposite than most people. Most people start with, you know, younger population or college. I started with pro athletes. Yeah. You know, that is, that's, that's where I started. And I'm very grateful that people have trusted me and I've, I've gotten my way there. Well, now I'm working my way to college and high school and youth. I've gotten in touch with little league and I'm working with, you know, driveline and Jagger and Kremchak and all these other really amazing people to get this out to youth because I have been shocked, absolutely floored to see the posture and the form of younger players. And I thought it was, you know, a lot of the pro guys, you know, you expect them to be in this perfect alignment. They're not. And that not everybody, there are probably some people, but the younger they go, I feel like the worse it is. And one of my goals is, you know, I love working with pro and I love working with teams but I also have younger kids and I want to make sure that these kids, it's not that hard to get certain things implemented and integrated at a younger age. So then they don't have all of these injuries and elbow injuries and, and career limiting, you know, even as a, as a kid, all of these detrimental things that are happening younger and younger. If we can get to those guys sooner, by the time they get to, you know, high school, college, and hopefully pro, if that's where they want to go, they're already set up because right now what we're trying to do is undo a lot of the crap that they build up, you know, so that's one of my goals that little by well, little. Well, we, we've missed some of this in PE and schools and, and, you know, that's where a lot of that goes back to is we've lost some of that with the younger kids. A lot of that was taken care of with the PE classes early on, which we need to, if we can talk to the government, we can try to get some of that back. Cause that's where it starts. It starts, if you can hit them early, uh, you've got a chance to keep them um, safer. And, you know, those are all the things that we talk about here a lot in the offices. How are we, how do we keep younger kids safe, which is in turn going to grow the game because more kids are going to be able to stay on the field. They're not going to get hurt earlier. It, it all works from the ground up. So if you can help the base of the youth kids that are playing, that helps and, and grows everything on the way up. Totally. You know, I, back in April, I have, oh, you know, the past couple of years, my kids are playing little league and different sports. And I see coaches, not only my kids coaches, but other teams, you go to see what the warmups look like. And I've seen, you know, what the warmups look like. They look like what we did in, you know, high school and middle school when we were younger. It's this, it's all the same stretches. And I know, and all of these coaches are really amazing people and they're volunteering their time and they're doing their absolute best. And I, you know, sit on the sidelines thinking, I kind of just want to go tell them that one's not good. But I'm not that kind of person to say like, do you know what I do for a living? Yeah. So in April, I think it was April, I just, it was like 11 o'clock at night. I put out a tweet and I thought, you know what? It is, I've made it my mission to revamp the youth mobility warm-up, starting with Little League. And I tweet and tag the CEO of Little League. First thing the next morning, I had a DM in my inbox that was from Steve Keener, the CEO of Little League. And he said, hey, we're interested. What do you got? Wow, that's really cool. Awesome. So... I wrote back and said, I'll have something to you within the week. So I planned what I believe to be an appropriate, developmentally appropriate from a mind, you know, cognitive standpoint, but then also a physical standpoint, 
that I felt like is going to be best for the youth players, put it together, started to record it. And I thought, you know what? I've got this ability right now. I've got Steve's, Mr. Mr. Keener's attention. I got a couple other ideas. I'm going to put together key standards that I think might be helpful to implement at a younger age. So within 48 hours, I basically busted out my cell phone, went through my contacts, texting people, hey, I'm doing this. I've got the CEO of Little League's attention. Are you in? So in 48 hours, I had Devin Morgan of Driveline. He runs the Youth Academy. He was on stage at ABCA last year. Um, his program's unbelievable, by the way. The Youth Academy is, it's like how it should be done. I think people think, you know, Driveline, the data. He's on our youth committee. What'd you say? He's he on is? our youth committee. Unbelievable. Like if you haven't looked at Driveline, their youth academy, it is what it should be for youth kids. It should not be this crazy, highly competitive. Maybe this is like a whole other talk, but I'm going to just talk about, so I'm going to stop there. Amazing. Go check it out. So Devin Morgan of Driveline, Alan Jagger, arm care and mind stuff, Kremchak, the Cincinnati Reds orthopedic surgeon, uh, Will Carroll is out there um, helping. I'm trying to think who else. There's a bunch of other people. Um, Connor Harris, he does biomechanics stuff and really has stuff in a way with breathing and mechanics. There's PRI. And so I don't have it in front of me, but the nine standards are basically arm care, mobility, age appropriate strength, um, the mental space. If we can start introducing some of just the like mindfulness stuff at a your earlier age, it's what the pro guys are doing. We all know, you know, it's not a secret anymore. It's not weird anymore, but maybe for kids, it might be uncomfortable. So if we can start to implement that now, so Alan's got that piece, but then, you know, the mobility standpoint for me, and then also coaching and parent resources. There's a guy, this is cool. So shitty coaching. I don't know if I could swear on this bad coaching, mean, mean jerk coaches, right. Who yelled the kids and they think they're doing it in a positive way. Cause that's how they were taught and it motivates. It doesn't motivate kids. So I connected with um, this guy who happens to be doing, so he has two master's degrees. He has multiple master's degrees. He played pro ball. He's in data science with the Rays, I believe. And he's currently doing his PhD on the long-term detrimental effects of coaching that, that it has on kids. Like basically kids drop out of sports, yep. um, have body issues, and they are sedentary later in life, all that. Anyway, he's he's involved there. So all of this I put together into a 25-page research-backed, data-driven. There's like 50 sources that I, I sourced. I spent an entire week not sleeping. And I put, because I wanted to get this thing, you know, to Steve Keener in a timely manner. But all of these guys came together and said, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to help any way possible if it's going to benefit our youth. And I presented this 25 page proposal to them and they're interested and there, and there may be, they may only move forward with, you know, a little a component here and there. And we're going to connect after the, they settle down from the uh, little league world series, but starting with the youth, like this is a, an example of using your network. You know, I had, I'd only met Alan at the ABCA and now boom, there's actually some cool stuff coming out with Alan soon too, with the J bands they're on. TikTok and Instagram now. You see that in the coming weeks. <laughs> so what did you put in there mobility-wise for youth kids? Uh, and the guy who's doing the detrimental effects, his name's Tim Smith. Okay, so for mobility. And this, I've actually, so I recorded it and I put it together for uh, my own kids and it's available on my website. And what it is, is developmentally appropriate because how you're going to teach a four or five-year-old is obviously different than how you're going to teach a 13-year-old. But the same positions and the same base positions are equally as important 
but you're going to teach a four-year-old and five-year-old, six-year-old with, you know, looking at the trees and, and smelling, you know, something and blowing out a candle and up to the sky and the sun, you really are shapes like an animal. Whereas a 13 year old, you can go into, you know, tucking the pelvis under and doing, you know, more technical. And it's amplifiedmovement.com, right? Yes. Amplifiedmovement.com slash youth. If you want the, the youth stuff. All right. So this one has, and this, the warm up has developmentally or, uh, developmental kinesiology positions because that's really important and all of the stuff that i do isn't just for the body it's mainly training the brain yes. which is really cool people like if you, if you tell people that they don't really care but it's really really important so it starts out with a half kneel position and gets kids in the right position and that helps with pelvic alignment and positioning and rib cage orientation and there's rotation in there we have some thoracic mobility stuff. So just rotating, there's bear crawls in there. There's 90-90s and reaching. So you can open up for breath work. There's hip cars, there's shoulder cars and showing kids because arm circles are not the same as doing a full range of motion of the humeral head in the, the um, acetabulum. You have to get a full rotation of it. So there's, you know, there's stuff in there that like that, like that that not only gets the body ready from a physical standpoint, but gets the brain ready, but also is applies to the field. You know, it's, it's completely appropriate to what they're going to be doing. And so all of that's in there, you know, with videos and cues and, and all that kind of stuff. Are you seeing much difference at the MLB level? I mean, you're dealing with the probably a 21 year old. You might be dealing with a 40 year old. Are you seeing much difference with how you're having a program for, for the older group of guys as well? You know, it's interesting because I have taught the youth mobility warm up, you know, to the kids and to high schools. I just opened up recently to high school teams and college teams. And it's really cool because right now I've got some colleges that are just starting their whole entire team and whole entire pitching Great staff. Time to start. And I'm so excited because when an entire team does it together, it's it's just, uh, you know, like profound. Like I was going to put an emoji in here with the, the brain exploding because if it's just one person, yeah, that's great. But when a whole team does it together, all, they're all on the same page. So at the pro level, I see that guys are just, even though they're they're super aware of their bodies and moving and, and they can tweak little, little minuscule things, that's really amazing. They're, a lot of them are just like really jacked up and compressed that you have to kind of, from a parasympathetic nervous system standpoint, just allow them to relax and get out of that. I've got a new client with the Rays who is 100% in, this is cool. So new client with the Rays who I've been in touch with, the Rays um, strength coordinator. And he knows that this guy is working with me. He's like, we're all in. I'm so pumped that this guy is here. And one of the things is, is even though he can get into the positions, and this goes for everybody, I'm not gonna call this guy out and I won't mention names either. Um, these guys can get into-ish these positions a lot of it has to do with just yes. letting let, like letting their nervous system not be in fight or flight. And there's ways we can do that with PRI drills. Well, and Eldoa too, stuff. right? Because that's a oh, that's Eldoa. a fascial fascial release thing. Yeah. So Eldoa is super cool. Yeah. Eldoa is basically they're pretty strict about how you're supposed to talk about it, but it's like at home postural exercises is how to talk about them. How I would describe them in this context is it helps to create. Um, helps to kind of decompress the discs using fascial lines and fascial tension to create this opposition. And how I got introduced to Eldoa is I was on a podcast with Garrison Roy, uh, 
who was we were talking about um opposition and one of the things that is really important so if you're listening to this opposition what it is is working body parts in opposite directions when you create that you kind of create this dynamic stability so if any pose you're in half kneel lunge hinge squat think about you know your butt moving in one way and your head moving another your the heels moving in one direction your hip moving another as we were talking about that garrison said hey have you heard of aldoa no i've never heard of aldoa well i went to abca went to a talk on something about um movement patterns and somebody mentioned aldoa and then i was working with um Adam Hauser, he was the uh, he was with the Dodgers when they won the World Series, who's also going to be in my book, which is also cool. And he talked about Aldoa because I referred a client to him. So I'm like, okay, now I got to go do Aldoa. So I go do Aldoa. I'm like, this is what I've been talking about. I've been teaching this for 20 years. But this guy has taken it to a whole other level on a actual structural. So you can work with these Aldoas to create that expansion. And that Aldoa will be in this off-season mobility series because now I know about it. And there'll be specific places where there's one that's uh, Eldoa L5S1, like the general Eldoa, magic Eldoa, where you're working that space to just feel really good and create. When you create that space and expansion, tells the nervous system also safe. And you get into these places as going back to just, we have to just get into a safe, we have to tell our body that it's safe from a neurological standpoint before our muscles are even going to be able to respond to that in the first place. And that's where the breathing comes into breathing in those areas as well. Cause it sends a message to the brain that the body's safe and that you can, you can go ahead. Yes. And the full exhales. And a lot of people are in what's called a left AIC pattern. You can look that up if you want, but really working the left side down to get your diaphragm into a relaxed state. Cause if your diaphragm is not in a relaxed state, it's sending your body these, fight or flight messages. So the full exhale in through your nose and then the sigh, like you're huffing up a mirror. Is the Ujjayi one, breathing. Yeah, that technique that really is helpful yep. to just, it's all related. Yes, it is. Um, I mean, what, what got you into yoga? And when, when did you find it? That's a good question. You know, and I was actually just writing that. So I'm writing a book. The, the working title is called Shit About Movement You Should Know. <laughs> Cause there's a lot of stuff people don't know. People just think, well, I want to work and I want to, you know, get bigger muscles or I want to get better at baseball, but it's not just, there's a lot of things that people don't know, like stretching your hamstrings. It's, it's probably not about tight hamstrings. They're probably way too stretched out and you probably shouldn't stretch them. There's other ways to do it. So as I was writing my book, it's okay. Well, how did I even get into yoga in the first place? I was working at McKinsey and company in research in Chicago 20 some odd years ago. And it was my first real job out of school. And I understood what stress, like real, you know, real stress was. And I'm sitting at a desk all day and I heard yoga can help, you know, you de-stress. And I originally went just a hundred percent just to de-stress. I've always been into, you know, bettering myself and looking within, but I hadn't done yoga until, I don't know, 98 or something, 99. And I felt amazing. At the end of the class, it was really the first time that I really experienced like, wow, this just feels serene. You know, some people go on vacation and you have to spend, you know, a week or two to get to that. And at the end of the yoga class, I was present and it was nice. So that's originally why I got into yoga. Have you tried like, Kundalini? 
What was that? Do you know Kundalini Yoga? You can, I do. Yeah, that's one of the ones. Breath that I... of Fire. Uh, for anybody that hasn't done it, I would highly recommend it. You know, they talk about ego death. Um, I think it's a way to to get kind of a mini ego death because it is extremely challenging. And you talk about that internal voice. Um, your internal voice is going to scream at you to stop because it is it extremely uncomfortable. But I would highly recommend Breath of Fire for anybody that hasn't tried it. Yeah. Do you do it? I know. Yeah. We, when we were chatting a little bit before the podcast, you talked about you've done yoga and you teach it with your players. Yeah. And how did you get into yoga? Uh, it was, I love this story. Um, when I was at Iowa, coaching at Iowa, we had a, a husband-wife combo, uh, Skip and Keisha Benzing. And Keisha was an Olympic track athlete, so she did our speed and agility. And Skip uh, was certified yoga, uh, but certified strength training. So on Sundays uh, in fall ball, we would have a really hard challenge team team day. It had a lot of things in there, and they were trying to beat it for time. But then post, kind of how you started with the MLB guys, post we would do yoga. And so it just made sense. I started jumping in with them on it and then picked up Rodney Yee's book, uh, his eight-week training manual, and that's how I started with it. And it was just a good place for me. I wish I had found it earlier, uh, especially as a player, because I did have some imbalances with my legs and my shoulders that I wish I would have found it a little bit sooner as a player, but that's how I found it. And then just like anything else, it's that individual mastery, and, and you add things on. I, Kundalini is just something I added in the last year. So that that's another thing that gets layered on, and I think that's part of being a good coach, being a good instructor, being a good human being is you're striving to better yourself and, and not be afraid to add new things in. Uh, you know, I think that's a big one for me is don't be scared to add something new in, um, and, and don't be scared of, of what people are going to think either. And I think that's, that's a huge part of it. Like don't, and that's why I loved yoga with our players is because it was a, a training session, not just for that, but it was a training session on how to drop your ego, how to not look around and worry about what anybody else is doing, because they're going to be guys that are better at these positions than you are. You can't pay attention to that. But then the centering in breathing part, the meditation piece, I think it all flows into each other holistically. And I think that's where we're headed as an industry is the holistic training part of the person and the athlete, and hopefully we can help with the mental health issue side of it, but also injury prevention and then better performance. You know, those are those are the three things for me that that I think all of us should be striving for is better performance for sure. That that's got to be the first thing, but then it's got to be injury prevention, and then it's got to be a mental health component. I think if you can hit all three of those boxes, the the person is going to get to their potential and probably exceed their potential. A hundred percent. I'm curious. You did it with your players. How did you end up introducing it? And was, you know, what was the the process and, uh, you know, getting even there? In the first I place? had an outside person in the beginning. Um, I had a great yoga instructor in, in town in Macomb. So I was going to her class and I said, hey, can you come take our guys through it on Fridays? And we did that for a couple of years with her. And then it got expensive where I coached at. We, our budget was not great. Um, and so I because I had been practicing about 12 years at that point, I was like, I think I'm to the point now where I can probably start to take them through it. Um, and so with limited training, um, and again, I, I felt better about it being in there with them and going through it with them because it was a team building thing. I could pay more attention to guys and, and coach them on that side of it. So it just, it helped in a lot of different ways. And it was gratifying because you knew they were getting something out of it, but they were also using it. 
which is amazing. Did you ever, did you have any pushback? You know, when it was- Not because we started with somebody else. And I never got pushback because our older players really liked it. Adam McGinnis was a really good player for us at Western. I think that's where you have to get the buy-in is from your best players. He really liked doing it. So we never had any issues with our guys because our best player was in on it. I love it. I love that he was open to it, already in on it. And he was a catcher, and he was tight anyway. Like, it helped him so much hip mobility-wise. Uh, really strong, um, but really tight in a lot of areas, and it, it did help him. It helped him stay away from a lot of injury stuff, but he was able to get into positions better on the field because of what we are doing. Which is awesome. It makes me think of, you know, having, a, you know, a buy-in. I just got a text. I sent you a screenshot of it, a text yesterday. So there was a Twitter thread through um, with Brian Eisenberg and Dr. Ish yep. Gallo, who is into baseball flows, which he's also going to be in my mobility series Love this offseason, which is unbelievable. And Brian Eisenberg has been a, a really amazing supporter in helping me just kind of get the word out there and, and, and speak in a language that people, you know, it makes sense. And after we had this Twitter thread that we did yesterday about movement flow and what people expect in this holistic approach with Ish and Brian, completely unrelated, one of my AAA uh, players sent me a text out of the blue and said something. I don't remember what the text is. You have it. Something to the effect of this guy who's a five-year big league veteran was talking about, he's starting to realize that performance and all of that isn't related to these specific, you know, pitching mechanics and hitting mechanics and specific workouts. It's more has to do with this flow of energy and all of it together and I said, we were just, we had a, an entire thread about this exact thing earlier today. And, and just thinking about the buy-in, the fact that the, the big league guy, you know, is kind of hearing it. And then, you know, I've got a bunch of big league guys now who were in the minor leagues and they made their big league debut. It's, you know, this trickle down effect. If you get that buy-in, it's a lot easier to say, oh, okay, yes, we're interested. Yes, we're going to do it. Even, you know, the Rays, it's the, it was actually the, the 25th team. I was able to add and I was super pumped like, whoa, the Rays, yes, because I hadn't had a Rays player from any capacity, not in the minor league, not as a coach and not as a big league guy. And so when I got this particular guy, the fact that the coach is down with what I'm doing, one of the, you know, the rehab coordinators and strength coaches, head guys, I, I like I, we, the buy-in is already there. You know, one of the big league guys, the ports is big league guy doing my stuff which is this holistic approach to movement flow and energy transfer no energy leaks through transitional movements it's a hundred percent holistic and well the tagline is hey if i can get you to produce output more efficiently you're gonna throw harder with less effort you're gonna hit the ball further with less effort like that's where you get buy-in on all this because that is the byproduct of all of it is your output is going to be much better and you're not going to have to work as hard for your output. Exactly. And you're going to reduce injury at the same time and recover faster. That's, that's what happens. I have one guy, I don't remember when we were talking. Oh, I was on a Twitter. I did a Twitter space a few weeks ago. It was my first one. And I put it out there. I thought nobody's going to come, but people showed up, which is really exciting. And thanks everybody. If you came to that one, you can still listen to it because it is helpful. There was a guy who was in my series who was listening. They had a rain delay. So he hopped in. And I said, if anybody wants to hop in and ask questions, he instantly popped in like, Hey, what's going on? So I said, what's the biggest thing that you got out of it? And he mentioned some things and he said, his ability to recover yes. is way faster than it ever has been. And he said, they're throwing him 
over and over and over. And he's like, I'm ready to go. And that hasn't happened in the past. And so like what you were saying, if you have that efficiency, everything is affected. Everything flows that, you know, effortless velo and, you know, I don't know Less all the soreness. other baseball terms. That's a, like, that's a big one because you're going to probably move a little bit more than what you're used to in a good way. And you're going to create blood flow to those areas that maybe usually are a little bit more ragged out than what they normally are. It just has a lot of benefits from the recovery standpoint because you're not going to be a sore. Yeah. And that's, I'm learning, you know, I put this, yep. like I said, I put the series together, not expecting what has come of it. And so, every, you know, every time somebody tells me something that's positive, which it's been positive, I'm like, oh, cool. That's exciting. I'm going to add that to the list of things, the benefits of what my program does, you know? So it's, it's cool, but it makes sense. You know, that holistic. Oh, you yeah. brought up Pilates and I, and again, I, I don't, I just think it's so hard. That workout, those have been some of the hardest workouts I've ever done are Pilates just from a core standpoint. I don't think people think they have a strong core <laughs> until you actually go through a Pilates course. Yeah. Pilates, what's interesting. So I've, I've been in, as I mentioned, fitness a long, long time. I've also been an athlete. I was an athlete in college, not in Northwestern, uh, but I went to school before that. I grew up playing sports. I've always been active. I've done pretty much every kind of sport or fitness class that you can think of. I was a trainer uh, at Equinox in uh, Chicago. I was, I was doing group fitness. And as a perk for being one of the instructors is they gave you a couple Pilates reformer sessions for free. And as you know, it's a way to promote Pilates in the gym. And it's actually all of it has, this is like Slumdog Millionaire, it all has a tie-in. And I ended up going to doing reformer. I had never done Pilates before. I'd only walked by classrooms and seen, you know, people doing really weird moves. Yes. I'm like, that's not doing anything. You know, that's, I, I'm not interested whatsoever. It's really weird. You know, like a down dog, you're like, okay, you know, somewhat similar, but a uh, hundred in Pilates, you're like, why are these people flapping their arms? Yes. What is going on? I gotta say, from the very first time I did the Pilates reformer, I was absolutely hooked. I went on to buy weekly like by set twice a week sessions and after just i don't know it was like a month or two of very regular pilates my body changed more than it ever has in any other form of exercise that i've ever done in my entire life my posture was naturally i could just i just felt upright and tall naturally there was no hunching felt like it took effort to to do and I just remember thinking, wow. And I got to say, my arms and everything was so toned. It was like, honestly, like magic. And it was hard AF. Yes. It really was. But you also had to have this mind-body connection. You had to have this awareness of, okay, where am I holding, you know, my ribs? Where is the energy generating from? We talked about, I had a, I have a Power Pilates certification. There's a whole bunch of different types of certifications. I really, really like the Power Pilates method. We I talk about. The core, you do that one? That, that awesome. was the one I did. That was that class was so hard. It's it's amazing because we talk about this, uh, the powerhouse. There's the primary powerhouse, which is the core, but then you got the secondary powerhouse. So it's everything from the pelvic floor. This is kind of adapted from the pelvic floor, the shoulder girdle, and everything in between. It's all part of the core. And the Pilates, you worked also with this lengthening, this opposition. And, you know, when you're doing uh, an arm thing, you're actually working on the core and you're working on the position of the scaps gliding. And, you know, I've adapted it over the years, 
but a ton of what I do is rooted in all of the foundational stuff that I did with Pilates. And so the, what I was going to say, how it's all kind of tied in, what's really cool is the girl who was my trainer has a, a program or a facility in Chicago called Amplified Pilates. Cool. We are not connected. And she has taken some of my pro guys and she knows how to work with them. And it's, I know there's lots of great, there's another one, I think Pilates for pros. There's a guy, I don't know, I don't know who he is, but he, his wife is a Pilates instructor and he does Pilates. And it's just like, if people really understood the benefit of Pilates for an athlete, if you're going to do nothing, if you don't do my stuff, at least go to a Pilates honor former with a very, there's another one, Brent Leach. Uh, with a player with, I think he was with the Rangers. We, uh, we were in the fall league with him years ago. His wife, Sarah Leach, she's another person who's in, uh, I don't know where she is, but she's got a, a studio. She's worked with athletes. Like there's specific people. You kind of have to go, not just, to, just like a yoga instructor, find the people who work with athletes because it's not all, they're all not the same, but it's fantastic. I could talk about Pilates, honestly, forever. So how are you laying the week out with all this? Cause obviously it's not the same thing every day or, or is it with a warm up? is the warm up similar and then get it? How are you laying out the protocol for week per week? This is where, I don't know. No, no uh, I mean, originally I, I, there's yeah, a lot of gray a area question. to all of this. You know, there that's is a, great question. a lot of gray area. So I, when I first started it, I to be honest, completely honest with you, I didn't know. It was, okay, if I were going to really work the body from the absolute ground up, what would I do? And that's how I've started to lay out the program. So it's a progression. So there's three phases. And to be completely honest, I just named them phases because in the beginning, it was like, okay, 36 classes, where are we going? Well, okay, in hindsight, the first phase is just really working on the foundational stuff and the body awareness. We have to get your brain to even recognize the muscle that you should be using and the position that you should be in. So the first couple of weeks are all about you're working. You're working very hard. Uh, and any guys who've taken my program, they realize like, oh my gosh, it's way harder than I thought because they're working the right stuff and undoing the crap that they've been doing. So work on the foundational stuff with how to work your core, how to position a better position for a half kneel, your head where it should be in alignment, you know, the position of your pelvis, how it relates to your rib cage and your head, it's all connected. And then in that, it's, it, there's no class that's ever the same. Every class builds upon the one before it. So I'll introduce some moves. We get it down in a flowy, you know, kind of way. And then the next class, you build a little more. Next class, you build a little more. We also add the active range stuff in there. Once we get to the later weeks, probably like eight-ish, maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, we start doing what I call no energy leak classes. And those are basically applying everything that we have learned up until that point, And we are flowing and they are so hard from a brain standpoint, body's tough too. And you're sweating, but from a brain standpoint, it's like your brain is so, so tired because you have to maintain that stability through the transitional movement. So you're flowing, but it's not loosey goosey crap that you see people doing. And so each class, we, for the most part, we start out with a low bridge and a core, some type of core warm up because that sets the stage of the foundation of what we need to work on later in class. And then there are some classes that, you know, there, there's a whole straight Matt Pilates class. There's a whole straight class of just active range where you're doing 90 90s and working on the active range. Then there's whole energy league classes. This off season, 
There's also going to be Dr. Ishgallo's baseball flows, which I am super duper pumped because I feel like that is a, a DNS based flow based on actual baseball positions that guys are in on the field. And Ish has done a really amazing job with it. I'm also adding Eldoa. So there's probably going to be a full Eldoa class in there. And all the classes have all of the things that I do integrated into the class. It's not just like, here's an FRC, here's a PRI, here's a yoga. It's all, in, you know, integrated, which is is cool, but it also makes my brain like, Ugh, because each class takes me, each class takes me from planning to recording to live seven to 10 hours for one class. I mean, some people might think, well, you got to be more efficient with that. I, you know, if you can make it more efficient, let me know. Cause it is okay. What did we do last week? What did we do here? What did I see the guys struggling with when I did the live class? Okay. I thought they'd maybe be able to do this, but I'm realizing no, they're not. Okay. So I need to kind of revisit this, but then from a neurological standpoint, kind of go through the back door. Cause if they're not able to get it here, there's ways for me to get their brain to make these new, you know, neural pathways to get them to do it without them knowing, you know, like outright, I'll tell them like, Hey, just so you know, we're going through the back door to get this one to work, but it might be doing something completely different than you think you should be doing. So yeah, it's all, all integrated. It's all crazy, cool. And it's fun. What drew you to Northwestern for neuroscience? <laughs> Funny story. So I was working at McKinsey at the time and I hadn't finished my degree yet. Kind of a roundabout experience. I wanted to go to UNCW in North Carolina. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I actually think I wanted to do acting, which was kind of funny. And so I couldn't afford the out-of-state tuition at UNCW. So I went to a state school in Connecticut for a year, but I was determined to get to North Carolina. So I moved down to North Carolina and in-state tuition was like three grand. Out-of-state was 20 grand or something like that. So I thought, okay, if I can somehow claim residency, I can afford the in-state tuition at UNCW and then I could go there. So instead of just sitting down there and doing nothing, I'll go to school. I went to a community college for a year, got a 4.0, by the way, <laughs> I just dropped that in there. Um, and at the, and it was working at the time. So I finished that second year and I applied for residency and they denied me and they said, sorry, um, we basically know what you're up to is probably what it was. Yeah. And so I couldn't afford to go to UNCW. Well, so then I happened to, and I had a job that ended and I was looking for a job. And I ended up nannying for a movie director who ended up going on to produce all these like CSI, CSI and all these like cool shows. And they lived in Evanston, Illinois. So they said, hey, you know, if you're not going to be here, why don't you move to Chicago? I'm like, what am I going to do in Chicago? So I, I just had this is one of those crazy things. I packed up my stuff and I legitimately just moved out to Chicago. I ended up through them, got an, um, an interview at some agency. I got my McKinsey job and everybody at McKinsey had, you know, Harvard and Wharton and Kellogg and all these really impressive degrees. And meanwhile, I'm like, I just got my community college. I got 4.0, but you know, so I, I really wanted to finish. I had no intention not to finish. So I worked at McKinsey for two years and I said, okay, I really want to go back to school. Where should I go? So my boss said, well, Northwestern's right, you know, in Evanston. I was like, well, is it a good, good place to go? I'd never heard of Northwestern. You know, I'm from Connecticut. Like, why would I hear Northwestern? He's like, well, we all apply at Northwestern. Okay. I think is that now looking back in hindsight, the fact that I actually asked him, who was, I'm pretty sure he had a Kellogg and, he's, you know, this really big deal. Is it a good school? Kind of makes me chuckle. So I got in, which cool for me. I ended up looking at the list of, okay, what do I want to major in? 
so I really loved biology and the human body, but the biology degree was like five years. I'm like I am not going to school for five more years. Yeah, that's a med so track. As I was, that's a medical school track there. Yeah. And, and I love it, but just, I didn't want to do five years. So as I was, this is actually how I did this. As I was going down the list of A, B, C, I get to cognitive science. I'm like, cognitive science, I've never heard of that. What is it? So I read the description of what cognitive science is. I'm like, that's it. How cool. So the track started with cognitive science and in there was the neuroscience. And then in there was the linguistics. And it was just, I just loved it. And, you know, again, slumdog millionaire, here I am looking back like, oh, cool. <laughs> Neuroscience and cognitive science. It's it's exactly in my wheelhouse. It's like a cool roundabout way of how did you decide on that? Because biology took five years and I definitely wasn't doing chemistry, which was, you know, the 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 major right before cog sci. <laughs> I had to write a beg letter when I was coaching at JMU. That's where I got my master's from. But same thing. I, I had to wait a year to to claim residency and they almost weren't going to let me. And they thought I was trying to buck the system. I was like, Hey, I'm here coaching baseball. Like I, I want to get my master's, but I'm here coaching baseball. I didn't come here for a year just to get in state tuition. Like I'm here coaching. I just would like to start the program. And luckily I, I wrote a good enough letter for them to be able to get me in state tuition there. Cause I would have been the same thing. I wouldn't have been able to afford out of state tuition there at JMU. Which is amazing that you got that. You know, yeah. yeah, you, but if you know, well, yeah, sports, me, I mean, sp sports affords you a lot of, of avenues where people can talk on your behalf to, to get things done. That's the great thing about sports is you can get some things done that maybe some other industries can't get done. Yeah. Fortunate in that way. I, I didn't go in school as an athlete, uh, kind of, again, roundabout way. And here we are. What do you feel like makes a great coach or great instructor? Because I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. Like not every instructor is going to mesh with every athlete. So what do you feel like makes a great coach or great instructor? Great question. I feel like I could go in a whole bunch of different directions with this. <clears throat> I feel like the best coaches that I have had is someone who is aligned with themselves who has the ability to look at the person as a whole human being and have a giant level of respect for them as a human being before anything else. And it's not just producing results. It's not just, you know, mechanics and things like that. It's okay, how can I support this person from a holistic, there's that word again, from a holistic standpoint and, and, and kind of like parenting, all kids are a little bit different. How you parent one kid is not going to work for another kid. And the same thing for a teacher. I was just thinking about this yesterday. All of this, as you know, if you are in this place of parent, teacher, coach, the best ones realize that everybody, you have to meet everybody where they are, meet them where they are and have a level of compassion and understanding and respect and then build from there because if you have the respect from your athlete student or kid you're going to have that total buy-in that total desire to be the best you can be because if you have any if somebody doesn't respect you you know you you may i was talking to ish dr gal i, I call him dr ish 
And we're talking about, you know, and I mentioned this just earlier in the podcast about, you know, part of the things that kind of, I'm kind of held me back before is even though, you know, I would have, I thought about going into physical therapy and I thought about doing these things, but I thought I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I, part of the reason I didn't do what I was doing sooner is because I figured, well, I don't have all these, you know, I mean, I do have cool degrees, but it's not, I'm a physical therapist. They, they may not, you know, trust that I know what I'm talking about. And Ish said, you know what? I've seen people with giant degrees that know less and they can't apply it and put it into this space. And he said, there was somebody, some coach along the way, because he played pro baseball, some coach along the way that told him that he would never amount to anything. And he went on, he's like, yo, I got, uh, you know, a doctorate now. I'm a physical therapist. You know, he didn't say, yo, that's me. You know, that's not at all what he's talking about. But that negative, you know, type of coaching, even though in a sense, it, it, it didn't necessarily motivate him. It's a negative way to motivate somebody. If you can get on the positive side and the trust where they really trust you, think about how powerful that is for a player. That's what I feel like that be. And that's why it's a calling, you know, teaching. My wife teaches very hard. Uh, coaching is very hard. And that's why it's a calling for some people. And not everyone is good at it. You know, everybody thinks they can coach or teach. But it's a calling for people that I think get that. Uh, and to his credit, he didn't take that as a negative that somebody told him he wasn't going to amount to anything. Because not every person can do that. But that's part of having thick skin, too, is is using that as as some some people do need a little bit of that motivation at times too you shouldn't do that but there are some people out there that can take that as a positive i think michael jordan's a great example we have some people out there that have used negative comments or whatever whether it's right or wrong they've used it as as motivation to be able to to get to where they need to get to big time big time and like you just said not everybody is set out to be a coach i also think having the ability to just like you in talking about yoga, you know, and up dogs and the positions and having an open mind to learn more, right? And not being on the defense. Yeah. I think what makes a really good coach, having the ability, and it, and it really goes back into living your authentic self. When you're most authentic and you're living your truth, anything coming your way is really a blessing because if you're living your truth, what comes to you is what's meant for you. And when you're not in that space, if somebody says anything that is, opposing to your views or thoughts a good coach will say huh well let me I, i'd love to hear more tell me why you think that way okay and then they look into it a bad coach is like you're you know they're gonna get bristled crap. By you're it. never gonna mount i'm not interested you're you know you're nothing and that happens it stinks and that goes into the tim smith the guy who's doing crappy coaching like i can't wait to see his final dissertation on it to see what you know how bad coaching can be long-term detrimental and how great coaching could not only build the athlete but the human being that's what it's all about everybody supporting each other and how can i help you like abca at the convention how can i support you and how gracious people are that is what it's all about that's what it's all about how can i help you become a better version of yourself that's it how were you able to to kind of block out the noise when you first got going? I'm sure you took some arrows when you first got into it, because that's just what happens. Somebody's new on the scene on social. People are going to fire at them. How were you able to kind of to block out some of the arrows that you were you were probably taking early on? You know what's I'm what I'm really grateful for, really grateful for, is the only arrows I had were from myself. 
this is where i'll get kind of i'll get teary-eyed i i do the same thing i put a lot of stuff out there i'm i am my own worst critic nobody's gonna be harder on on me than me personally the stuff i throw out there i'll i judge myself more than anybody on the stuff that i i throw out there hugely i for me i what i thought was going to happen was you know people were going to call me out and they were going to say you don't know what you're talking about you that's wrong and it was all perceived and for me in my head was just keep going just keep going and i was like oh geez even when i was putting the mobility series together i I didn't know what I was doing, but I, like I had to put together a, a, a marketing campaign, which I still haven't done. But it's like, okay, I'm going to do the graphics. I'm going to put all this together and put it out there. And my thought, a fear was, what if nobody, nobody signs up? My voice said, Tracy, just keep going. Even if nobody signs up, at least you have all these graphics ready for something else. You've, you've done the pre- preparation. Well, what if, you know, this doesn't matter. Keep going. And you know, what's funny this just last night. <clears throat> So I put out a video just last night. It, it, this makes me laugh. There is a particular PRI drill. It's called standing serratus squat. So if you Google it, PRI standing serratus squat, or hopefully later today, I'm going to have it on my Instagram. It's basically if your knees are in line with your hips, like, you know, about hip width apart, and then you bring your elbows out in front of you, bent at 90 degrees, and then you tuck your pelvis under just a little bit, around your spine and you press your elbows forward protract the scapula if you inhale fully through your nose and you put the air into your back ribs and you have full full exhales ribs together back and down and you do four to five cycles of breath that greatly improves your rotational ability it also does a whole bunch of other stuff well you know oxygen capacity inhibits certain muscles amazing for hitters so last night i was at my kids we do a sandlot baseball uh, for the kids. So it's unstructured. It's actually really, really fun. And so mama came up to bat and, you know, I got to say, I not, I'm not a baseball player, which is kind of funny. And it's and it, and to my advantage because I'm not looking at somebody's mechanics. I'm looking at their body and how it moves. So I get up to bat. I'm like, okay, my whole, you know, I'm holding the bat right. And it's happened to be my kid's dad is a professional baseball player. So I'm like, okay, can you at least make me not look like, I don't know what I'm talking about, you know, you know? So he gets me all set up. He's like, oh, it's a pretty good batting stance. And while I'm standing there, I'm thinking about PRI standing serratus squat, because this is how my brain thinks. I get into moves and I think, huh, you know what? I think if a guy does this particular drill, so I then say, here, grab your phone and I'm going to record this drill. So I get out of my batting stance that he had just set me in with my knuckles. He's like, this is how you align the knuckles, even though it feels weird. You want it like this? And then I get myself into the position of the standing serratus squat and I do the drill and I'm like, man, this is awesome. So he records it, whatever, 10 o'clock last night. I cut it and I put this thing out there and I really do believe if you do this drill, it's really amazing. And it's just like, you know, I think I, I titled it, um, a hitter's new secret weapon or something like that. And I put it out there. I'm not even kidding. Within five minutes, three big league guys and two hitting coaches text me like Tracy, um, you know, the stuff you put out there is uh, really awesome. Um, one thing, uh, just like really gentle and kind, we should probably work on your, your batting stance. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about my batting stance? Like that. Um, you, you, uh, oh, you're bat the video that you just put out there. It's like, what are you, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a batting stance. It's like, yeah, you're in a bat, you're at the plate and you're holding it. And that's terrible. It's like, I'm not in a batting stance right now. This is the position of the drill. Yes. And so honestly, within, within five minutes, these people, I'm like, that's not a bat. It's the drill. It's I the cut drill. to it. Yes. So then, so anyway, I ended up deleting Everything it. Everything has context. 
Okay, so Aaron. that was the first time. Thankfully, there were no arrows, and these guys were looking out for me. And I explained, okay, okay, you know what? N noted. I have to say, when you're before you before, come up to bat, pre. before like if you have a bat in your hand and you're at the plate, you better be in a proper batting stance. Yeah. You do not do some weird funky drill. Do that this looks in like the really dugout while you're waiting in the hole. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to be doing today. I'm re-recording that one. Rick Rubin, well, I, I love music. I'm a huge music fan. Actually, that's why Alan Jager and I very rarely talk about anything other than music. He and I will send <laughs> uh, music clips back and forth to each other, and that's why I love Alan, because we're able to, to kind of go down that rabbit hole. But Rick Rubin runs the uh, Broken Record podcast, and he's a great music producer. He's produced some of the best music of all times, but his thing is record what you like. Like record what you're passionate about, record what you're like, and then throw it out into the world and then let somebody decide if they like it or not. And, and, and then that's it. And the other reason I love that podcast is he interviews some of the most talented musicians we've ever had. They all have self-doubt. They all. Somebody sold 20 million records. Um, Andre 3000, I love Outkast, but Andre 3000, his, his, anybody that hasn't listened to that interview with Andre 3000, here's one of the most talented rappers we've ever had, has self-doubts about the content that he puts out into the world. And it's like, okay, these people are extremely successful. If, if they have self-doubt, it means everybody has self-doubt. Everybody. Everybody goes through it. So again, create what you like and then throw it out in the universe and, and if somebody likes it, great. If not, that's okay too. I love it. I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, even though I'm where I am now, it's not like I still have giant, giant ideas and goals of where I'm going because I, I just want to help people. I just want to get yes. the message out of what what is possible. And I still, I, I feel like over the past year, because I've done so much just introspect, introspection, introspective work, there we go on being authentic a huge part of that is getting out of your own head and you know your initial question was how'd you deal with the you know the external arrows it was all my arrows yes. it was all it was all the stuff that i put on myself or even going to abca the convention i was like oh my gosh people you know not gonna know me i'm gonna be standing by myself it's gonna be embarrassing nothing that came up come out of it and it has been a pivotal point of why i am where i am now because it, it gave me confidence that you know just to take the steps forward and put myself out of my comfort zone and just hearing you say you know always in interview these amazing people have this self-doubt it exists and it's okay it's how okay. we deal with it and how you break through it and how you take a step forward and just stepping out of your comfort zone and just having faith that if you are the most authentic version of yourself if you're doing you not what you think everybody else thinks you should be doing or whatever what you think you know, people want from you, just a hundred percent be you like my book shit about movement. You should know I'm working with Brian Eisenberg has been really, really helpful and just helping me kind of like take all my crazy thoughts. Yeah. And I'm like, can I actually put shit in the title? You know, it works like, yeah. for Mark Manson. I mean, Mark Manson yeah. has an F word in his title and that's one of my yeah. favorite. Can you books. tell me, remind me of his book. It's the orange book. It's uh, the subtle art of not giving an F. I can't say it on air, but yes, uh, right. Mark Manson is a phenomenal writer. His his writing is phenomenal. It's very digestible, but takes extremely complex philosophical topics and makes it digestible and easy read and funny. He's a really funny writer. Really funny. Writer. Yeah, so I've read that book 
And he is that reading that book is actually what kind of gave me the okay that okay he's got that and he's got a little asterisk in the title. So yes. I'm like okay shit about movement the, instead of the I there's going to be a little asterisk yeah. and and asterisk in, in the title, and it's okay because he's being his most authentic self. I can I'm not going to offend somebody by saying that word. And if to be honest, if I'm going to offend somebody, this book's probably not for you, right? And it's taking complex biomechanical principles of movement, right? So he took other stuff. And my book is, I never thought about it until you mentioned it. It's taking all this, you know, technical language that people like that normal people, me, I'm a normal person that in the beginning, I'm like, what do they mean? Could you just speak English? You know, yeah, like, speak this to me like I'm a five-year-old. It doesn't move this way. It's going to hurt you. That's all I needed to know. And so that's what this, that book is about is just all the stuff in normal people language. And then I've got all the experts like Brett Winchester, the DNS guy who, teaches the DNS for baseball, Adam Hauser, Kremchak. I've got all these other amazing contributors contributors that are going to talk the technical speak for me. I can do it. But mine is, okay, how do we take the technical stuff? How does it relate to you? And then these guys are going to go t a step further in it. And that's, yeah, so. I'm I think cool compilation books are phenomenal. I love Tim Ferriss, but Tribe of Mentors, uh, you know, he's had a couple where it's basically based off his podcast, but I, I, I really like books that are, have multiple voices in it. I think it's good for people because you're hearing multiple voices and I just think compilation books are, are very good. Do you have a fail forward moment? I mean, we've talked like the entire podcast has been probably about fail forward moments because you've, you've bet on yourself, you know, for a long time. Do you have one that stands out or is it something that we've already talked about from a fail forward moment? You know, in an industry where it's predominantly men, yes. I got to say all of the men that I have worked with have been unbelievably respectful a hundred yeah. crazy and i'm so grateful for it hannah Houston and i talked about this because i've interviewed uh multiple of the female peak performance coaches in in the major league baseball state space i think we're a little different because i i do feel like we have professional baseball players that came from single family homes that came from only on mom in the house where i think they're going to listen more to a female voice than they are a male voice at times because they trust that voice a little bit more than a male voice at times. Yeah, I I, that's, I appreciate you sharing that because yeah. maybe this is, you know, part of my like evolution and yes. being more of me. Like, yes. I don't want, again, I don't, I don't want guys hitting on me or anybody, me thinking I'm hitting on anybody, you know? For sure. Because there's, there's 10,000 of us and there's only 10 of them. Yeah. I, I'm not open to that, you know? It's just... I'm here to do what I'm doing to help people. Yes. And thankfully nobody has, yep. you know, and, and that, so my, and hopefully order. have enough voices now, uh, male voices that are, are out there saying like, Hey, that's not right. And that's not the way that you treat women. Like, yeah. I, I think we've all had to look with the me too movement. I think there's been things that have been brought up, very uncomfortable conversations out there, but I think it's forced all of us to, to be more vocal about how you should actually pe treat people. And there's a right and a wrong way to treat people. And we do need, need male voices out there to say, hey, like, it's not right to do that. Like, and, and you have to speak up. And, and it's, it's on all of us to speak up. But it's on those male voices out there like, hey, it's not right. And that's not the way you treat people or talk to people. Right. You know, I got it. I, you're exactly right. And I, I respect the the men in the industry who i have had the opportunity to work with because in order to be where you are and where these other people that i've worked with are you have to have already kind of worked out some of your right yes. and all of them 
have moms, whether they were present or not. All of them either have wives or girlfriends, kids in some way, or they have friends who do. You know, we're not we're not 15 year olds anymore. And everyone understands, you know, maybe not what it's like to be a woman, but having that level of respect and guys, as hard as everybody comes off, we all know everybody inside is, is a softie, which is a good thing, right? You know, softie isn't a, isn't a bad thing. And I could have probably used a better word. But you said it about the convention. We were all there at one point and didn't know anybody. And we had people pull us in that were good to us. And so I think that's a a big part of it is we've all been in somebody's shoes where you don't know anybody, you don't have any contacts, and somebody was gracious enough to to treat you the right way. So you want to pay it forward to the next group of people coming behind you because you were in their shoes. Like you were in there and didn't know anybody. Completely. Yep. completely and i i'm so grateful for all of this when you are a genuine human being and you are out putting yourself out there and you are also helping other people it's just this really beautiful flow of energy you know for lack of a better word and phrase it just it it goes around and it just swirls in a way that magnifies everybody when we are there's some saying that i never say it right but it's like all ships rise right but it, yeah. it's, all when, t- it's, it's tides raise all ships. Yes. When you help, that's exact. Thank you. I get it wrong every time. You're going to tell me that and I'll remember, I'll forget it the next time. When you help somebody else level up in any capacity, in any capacity, whether it's you help remember, remind somebody to drink an extra half a glass of water a day to something great like giving them support and whatever it is or holding space for somebody. When you do that, you all level up. Everybody rises. That all ships rock. It, it's true, and it exists, and it's real. And the more we can all do that, it's better off for all of us and humanity and the kids. And as adults, we are what these kids are looking up to. We are the role models. The more we can do that, they see it. They may not ever talk about it, and they may not act like it, but they will remember wow, I remember this or that, or this courageous moment or this tender moment or whatever it is. And we, that's what it's about. We're not doing what we're doing, what we're doing for ego, right? I feel like when you get to the certain standpoint, it's, it's not ego. It really is because we genuinely want like humanity in a way, you know, to, to benefit in a positive way for our kids. What are some final thoughts or maybe something I should ask that I didn't? Ooh. Was there anything that we didn't touch on? This, from the, I from the mobility say, stuff? Um, the mobility stuff. You're, this has really, really been fun and really easy and natural. And I've listened to some of your other podcasts and I've seen how easy and natural and a really beautiful flow. And the fact that we we touched on so many things. That's I, what I, I like. I mean, I, I like going all over the map because it is a conversation. I think it's just a, it's a human conversation that you can have and you go all over the map and... But I mean, your, your last statement was pretty much some final thoughts. It was tremendous. I think I'm, I, yeah. I, I feel at peace with what Love was it. shared today is what yeah. was meant to be shared. Yeah. And I'm grateful for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tracy, I appreciate it. This means a lot. I'm looking forward to talking to you again. We'll have to do a round two after, after everything gets released. I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking the time today, the thoughtfulness in preparation in your questions, the kindness that you've extended. And I appreciate you. I'm grateful. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. 
I wish Tracy the best on her journey in the baseball industry. I appreciate her trying to push the envelope in holistic training. It's something I'm also very passionate about, so it's always fun to talk to somebody who believes in training the whole person. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Jim Richardson, Zach Halen, Matt Weston, the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, coachb underscore abca, Instagram, ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. Set me free